Welcome to Craft Life, Episode 8, Crafting for Good, Part 2. In this Part 2 episode, I'll toss out some crazy video game statistics and then try to learn from them. I'm excited to announce that I have made the cut. And details on how I spent Worldwide Knit in Public Day. All this coming up in this episode of Craft Life, the podcast all about living the creative life. Hello and welcome to new and returning listeners to this eighth episode of Craft Life. This is a part two of a two-part series. It wasn't originally supposed to be a two-parter, but as it happened, these two episodes fell on just a very busy time for me. This episode is coming out a little bit late. I normally try to get them out on the weekends, so two days late, well, better late than never, right? As I said, uh, it's been crazy lately. Wow. I went on vacation. My husband and I went and we went back to South Carolina and we got to stay with my family and we did kind of a, it was a not at our house staycation, but it was more of a staycation from my parents' home. And it was really kind of neat trying to find interesting vacation-y type things to do from their house. And, you know, we actually came up with some pretty good ideas. We visited a winery, we took rides in small four-person cedar aircraft. That was kind of neat. We went whitewater rafting. That was a lot of fun. And of course, no matter if you vacation or staycation, the one thing that makes it a holiday is eating. And we did a ton of eating, and now we're paying for it. But it was great while it lasted. And speaking of wonderful Southern food, let's go ahead and just kick off this episode with a little Southernisms. Southern cuisine, noun, definition, most notably influenced by African American, Native American, Irish, French, and Spanish cuisines, this heavenly blend of everything that is good and right about food is native to the Southern United States. Usage, example, when I am feeling a bit tired and hungry, there's nothing like a little Southern cuisine to make everything all better. is so much truth in that usage example that Adam shared with us. Of course there would be. I wrote it. It is so true. There's nothing like a little Southern cuisine to make everything all better. Now, truth be told, a lot of Southern cuisine is probably not good for your heart if you if you eat it the right way. Um, but there are a lot of, of course, there are a lot of healthy options and, and all of you cooks out there, you know that, you know, there are different substitutions and things that you can do in a recipe to make it more healthy. If you are not terribly familiar with Southern cuisine, another term that is probably commonly well known is soul food. This is the type of Southern food that I grew up eating, not the Texas barbecue, not Louisiana Creole gumbo type stuff. I grew up eating soul food, Southern food. A lot of fried foods, a lot of potatoes and root vegetables, sweet potatoes and chicken and 
Oh, just so many good things. There are three things in particular that I ran across on my trip home that are distinctly Southern that I'd like to share with you. When I walked into my grandparents' house for the first time to visit them while we were on our staycation, they both had a big bowl in front of them. They were eating their supper and inside the bowl was pig foot stew. Now, before you totally get grossed out and, and turn off the podcast, Pigfoot stew, let me just clarify, is, is like hash. If you've ever had meat hash that goes kind of on top of rice, it's kind of that consistency. It's not a stew with lots of big giant pig feet floating in it or anything like that, but it is made out of pig feet. To be honest, I did eat this a good bit when I was younger, and then as I grew up and just more I thought about it, the more the idea just kind of just didn't sit well with me. <laughs> So I grew out of eating pigfoot stew, but a lot of people haven't, like my grandparents. Love them to death, and they love their pigfoot stew, and it's a matter of fact, my grandfather makes their pigfoot stew homemade. And as far as pigfoot stews go, it's a good one. The next thing that I ran across that I have actually found out here in Texas as well is fried dill pickles. I love dill pickles any which way you make them. Um, but the fried is is really good, and it's actually something I've only been aware of for the past few years. It's not really something I grew up eating. And what you do is some people use dill pickle spears, and some people use kind of the little the little circle-shaped discs. I forget what they call it. I guess chips. Dill chips is what they call them. They take those, and they're battered and just, just a kind of a general flour milk batter. Kind of you, you dip the pickles in the milk. And then you kind of dredge them in the flour and then they're fried and they're so good. And they're often served with a side of dipping sauce, um, like ranch dressing or something kind of along those lines. They're so good and they're so easy to make. And the third thing I'd like to share with you is sweet tea. In the South, if it's not sweet and it's not cold, it's not tea. That's how we love to drink our tea. It's got to be sweet and it's got to be cold. And sweet tea is kind of hard to find outside of the South. I've, I've been to restaurants and ordered tea, and, and they, they bring it unsweetened always. And for those of you who may work in the restaurant business, please keep this in mind. If someone orders sweet tea, they do not mean unsweet tea and a pack of sugar. It's not the same thing. So, pigfoot stew, fried dill pickles, and sweet tea. Take your pick. Some of them I like more than the rest. I can leave the pigfoot stew, but the fried dill pickles and sweet tea, whoo, those are some good eatings. All of this talk about southern food kind of got me wondering about whether or not I should share some recipes with you on the podcast and in the show notes. So, I'm tossing that idea out there to see if anyone's interested. If if you're interested in maybe getting some of these Southern food recipes, maybe not the Pigfoot stew, but some of the other things, uh, let me know on the show notes or you can send me an email, just however you'd like to get in touch with me and, and let me know if that's something you'd be interested in. Then I will definitely go back through my recipe files and see what I can come up with that I think you might be interested in trying your hand at cooking. If you play video games or are intimately acquainted with a gamer, you have probably heard of a game entitled Call of Duty Black Ops. This is the latest installment in this lengthy video game franchise, which hit the market on November 9th, 2010. 
Black Ops has a very popular online mode in which players from all over the world can jump into battle simulations and attempt to save a town from a terrorist threat. While players are in the lobby waiting for matches to begin, game statistics are displayed across the bottom of the menu. Players can amuse themselves by learning how many cars have been destroyed in the game to date, as well as how many times Black Ops players have fallen the height of Mount Everest. Shortly after the game's release, the blogosphere lit up with reports on one of the statistics I find most intriguing. Get Some Sun, as the stat is called, tracks the total cumulative time that the game has been played online by everyone around the world. On the evening of November 10, 2010, a mere one day since the game hit store shelves, that number was 600 years. You heard me correctly, 600 years. Let's stop and think about that for a moment. 600 years ago, England was being ruled over by King Henry IV, and Christopher Columbus had yet to make his voyage to the New World. A sore throat and cold was a serious health threat, and indoor plumbing for the common man was a thing of fantasy. Since that time, we have all come to the agreement that the world is round instead of flat, and that the Earth is not the center of the solar system. Man has gone from cart and horse to planes, trains, and automobiles. Electricity has been harnessed, medicine has improved by leaps and bounds, and man has walked on the moon. If every Call of Duty Black Ops player in that first day were paid the United States minimum wage for their time spent in-game, they would have made a total of $9,048,000. Now imagine what could have happened if all of those people and all of that time came together and poured all of that energy into something meaningful, something for the benefit of others. Might we now have solved the world hunger crisis? found the cure to cancer, or finally begun terraforming Mars? I'm not saying that people should not play video games. I love a good round of Plants vs. Zombies or a few hours immersed in the world of the latest Elder Scrolls installment just as much as the next person. Hobbies and favored pastimes are as varied and widespread as the people who enjoy them. We creative types, however, are in a unique position. Our hobbies and skills are such that can often be used to benefit others. How many bake sales and silent auctions and benefit performances have you seen or heard of or perhaps participated in? How wonderful that the things we enjoy doing in our free time, just for the fun of it, have great value and can be used for doing good. It's a winning situation for everyone involved. Now imagine all the time that we, as a collective group of crafters and creators, spend doing the thing that we enjoy. What if we set aside just a fraction of that time for purposefully creating for good? What kind of a difference do you think we could make? Since Call of Duty Black Ops released, it has remained extremely popular. As of June 13, 2011, the Get Some Sun stat had ballooned from 600 years to 88,868 years. I wonder what would have happened if all of those players had spent half of that time knitting helmet liners for real soldiers instead of pretending to be one.
If you are a knitter or a crocheter and you like to knit hats, you too can make a helmet liner for a soldier. I know that there are charities in both the UK and the United States that make this their goal. And a quick Google search or a quick search around on Ravelry will turn up a lot of places that you can get connected with to donate your knitted helmet liners for soldiers. And I know that they do have very specific color requirements and material requirements. So check those out. And if I can, I will find a link for you and I will put that in the creating for a cause thread in the Craft Life Ravelry group forum. So check that out. And if you have a charity group that you donate to or that you make your craft for or that you just really like and want to get the word out about it, please tell us about it on the creating for a cause thread in the Craft Life group because you never know, you might inspire someone else out there who's reading or Hey, it just, it might be something I'd be interested in knowing about. So please go to the creating for a cause thread and tell us about it. Now I've got an easy way for you to give of yourself and well, maybe not your talents, just of yourself. It doesn't cost any money. It's absolutely free. And just about everybody who's listening to this boy or girl can participate. This is something that I had the pleasure of doing for the third time again, while I was at home staycationing with my family. And that is hair donation. There are a handful of companies out there who take donations and make wigs to give for free or at a very reduced cost for people who have lost their hair due to illness. One of these that I've given to before is Locks of Love. And if you are interested in giving your hair to, to help a child smile, this might be the charity for you. If you are interested in giving your hair for those who have lost theirs due to cancer, check out Pantene Beautiful Lengths. This is who I donated my hair to this time, as well as the last time that I cut it. It's so easy. I believe you have to have at least eight inches to donate, and really, that's not as much as you would think it is. I donated a total of 18. I like to give a big, long ponytail because... Well, I figured there's probably more people donating the shorter pieces, so I'll just donate the longer ones. And it's not as scary as you think. A lot of people say, oh, I just couldn't ever cut my hair, but you can, and it grows back. And thankfully for, for me, it does grow back because for some people it doesn't. So it's such an easy way. You don't have to make anything. You don't have to do anything. You just have to grow your hair, which you already do. So give that a thought. And if you've done this before, tell me about it on the Creating for a Cause thread. I would love to hear about it and I would love to see pictures. And speaking of pictures, I have some before and after shots for you. And I will post those in the show notes in case you're interested in seeing my new chopped off haircut. And I will also have links to both Locks of Love and Pantene's Beautiful Lengths website on the show notes. And now, the KIP Report, Worldwide Knit in Public Day Special Edition. What? Hold on just a minute. Oh, that's right. I didn't knit in public on Worldwide Knit in Public Day? Ugh! Let the ritual self-flogging begin. I call myself a knitter. Yes, it's true. I did not knit in public on Worldwide Knit in Public Day. I intended to. Oh, I intended to. As we intend to do so many good things that go undone. 
If you remember, I had a goal of knitting four baby items for my dear cousin. I had plans to knit a hat, a pair of mittens, a pair of booties, and a cute little amigurumi frog. Well, my plan for Worldwide Knit in Public Day was to be knitting on a boat. You see, that day we were on vacation, and we decided as a group to go and take a cruise of sorts on a big, beautiful boat in the middle of Lake Murray. This was sort of a, a history of Lake Murray cruise. It was nice, and the boat was air-conditioned, and they served us lunch, and it was all wonderful, and I planned to knit in public on that boat. Little did I know that that same cousin for whom I was knitting was also one of the passengers. So, knitting in public did not happen. Sorry, I have no good KIP report for you today. But I do have a great finished object report for you. Yes, I did finish that cute little amigurumi frog. And I also finished the baby booties. And I also finished the hat. The mittens I didn't even cast on, but three out of four is not bad. I was very happy to get those done and to get those to her by the end of the week before we left. So right now, now that all of that crazy last minute knitting up a storm knitting is done, the only thing I currently have on my needles right now is that 4x4 rib shawl. But I'm sure that is not going to be the only thing on the needles for very long because honestly this shawl is taking me a lot more time than I thought it was and I'm knitting it on size 10 needles I thought it would go quite a lot faster but it's not so I'm going to have to come up with a small quick project that I can can kind of have to balance out this long drawn out 4x4 rib but it's looking really cute actually and and I'm quite pleased with how it's going <music> Before I wrap up this second part mini episode in the Crafting for Good mini series, there are a few things that I would just like to tell you about. The first one really doesn't have anything to do with Crafting for Good, it's just something I'm very excited about. I was perusing the Ostentatious Fiber Artists group on Ravelry today, as I do from time to time, because as you know, I love Jane Austen. And it has come to my attention that there is going to be a new book of Jane Austen-related knitting items released. Jane Austen Knits by Interweave is set to be released in late October or early November of this year, according to a certain thread in that Ravelry group. So that makes me very excited. I'm really looking forward to seeing what kind of goodies, Jane Austen-type goodies, they're going to be coming up with in that book. So keep your eyes peeled for that if you too are a Jane Austen fan like me. The next thing that I wanted to talk a little bit about is the Treacle and Ink Etsy shop. Now, this is not something I mentioned on the podcast before because the, the point of this podcast is not to plug my Etsy shop. But I did want to let you know that in the month of October, I'm doing something a little different in there. I, I'm doing a month of Treacle and Ink Goes Pink for the month of October. I've kind of been spending the past few months um, creating items with a pink theme, kind of a breast cancer awareness theme. I, one of my sisters has also partnered with me on this, and she has she has a very specific style of painting that she does for breast cancer related items. If you catch my drift, and she is she is also going to be creating some things to go in the shop. Everything that I will be selling for the month of October will be in this theme of Treacle and Ink Ghost Pink for Breast Cancer Awareness. And all of the proceeds that come in from every item sold in the month of October, 
I'm either going to donate to the American Cancer Society or the Susan G. Komen for the cure. I haven't quite decided which one of those I'm going to go with yet, but I will let you know when I get that figured out. So more of that later as the time draws closer, but if you've noticed that I've been knitting a lot of pink things that I've been telling you about on the podcast, that is why. And the last thing I'd like to let you know before I take off for today, I'm going to be taking a one episode break after episode 10. The, the break thing just seems like a really good idea to help keep the podcast fresh. And 10 is just such a nice round number. So I think I'm going to try to do this every 10 episodes. And, and by one episode break, basically that means I'll have episode 10. And then on the week that episode 11 is supposed to air, there won't be anything. You'll have to wait four weeks for the next podcast instead of the normal two. But I will be back with episode 11 and we'll do another series of 10 starting then. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can email treacleandink at hotmail.com. And you can find show notes for this podcast on the blog. It's treacleandinketsy.wordpress.com. You can find me on Ravelry and Facebook. My name there is, of course, Treacle and Ink. And you can also find us and discussions about Craft Life on the Craft Life Ravelry group. And now, for the first time, Craft Life is on Twitter. Join me in the next episode to celebrate creative freedom. Until then, thanks so much, and have a great week. Thank you.